Hi there, welcome and thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason Shoulder and this is Learning to Fail. People are complicated and I know a lot of complicated people. My guest today is Julie Scoggins. Julie is a 19-year veteran comedian. I had the good fortune of hosting her shows when she came to town. Comics come in all shapes and sizes. Julie is tall, thin, and full of life. From the first moment we got on the phone, we couldn't stop talking. She's funny, frank, and unafraid. I learned a lot from my conversations with Julie. If only I could have recorded them all. Before we get started, I just want to say how much I appreciate people taking time out of their lives to talk to me, let alone listen. This podcast is my avenue for expanding the way I think and the things I think about. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about Learning to Fail and encourage them to tell theirs. Take a moment to rate us on iTunes and check out our website for additional information about each of the people we interview. While you're there, please visit our Donate and Amazon pages. Each page will give you clear instructions on what to do. For the time being, we're a completely donation-based podcast, so all of our episodes are being brought to you by you. Our donation page will allow you to make one-time or recurring donations. Our Amazon portal enables you to support the podcast without spending any extra money of your own. Please bookmark our Amazon page and start your shopping there every time you visit or buy anything on Amazon. The most helpful thing you can do is simply to listen to the podcast and encourage others to do the same. The world will be a better place when we can all start learning to fail together. Let's hear what Julie Scoggins is up to. This woman is one of my favorites. Julie Scoggins, how cool to be able to sit down with you <laughs> after performing with you last night and getting ready to perform again tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome to North Carolina. Oh, you live in North Carolina. Welcome I live to, here. Welcome, to, welcome yeah, home. Welcome back home. You know, you have to pass through South Carolina to get here, so it almost feels like a different state, Charlotte. Like, I'm, whenever I go there, I always feel like... You go through South Carolina? I used to. Um, actually, the longer I've lived here, the more I've realized that's I cut not... through Shelby. Yeah, right. That's a better way to go. Well, now what I do is I go through, uh, I go the other way. I was going to ride my motorcycle up here, but it's turning cold, so I'm glad I didn't. I actually had the foresight to go look at the forecast and see, because sometimes I'll set out, you know, and then it'll change a lot, especially if you're gone several days. And boy, I went out, I rode my motorcycle once to uh, Chattanooga from Charlotte. Oh, really? And it was a couple of years ago. Remember Hurricane Sandy? Remember when Hurricane Sandy happened? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And when I left uh, Charlotte on the bike, it was like mid-70s, 75, 77 degrees. It was gorgeous. And then while I was in Chattanooga, Hurricane Sandy came through and the, with it a front. And um, by the time I got ready to ride back, it was um, freezing along 40 in through Asheville wow. and Sleet. And so I went south through Atlanta, which was 50 and rain. And it was miserable. Yeah. And I just, it, it 50 degrees and rain at 60 miles an hour is not a good day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, 
And no matter what, what kind of clothes you have and gear and all that, screw that. I just want a car at that point. Yeah, no, motorcycles are a fair weather travel instrument. I want a windshield and a heater. You did? Did you have like a? I have, I have a windshield, but that was it. And does that blow the weather over you most of it? It helps. It, it helps, keeps yeah. it from feeling. Rain feels like needles. Yeah. If it hits bare skin, you yeah. know, on a bike, but I was covered up pretty good, but still, you know, there's always a little little creases and cracks where the wind gets through. It's just, this is not good. So, Have plus you, everybody else is driving crazy and it's more dangerous too. They can't see you good. And Have you always ridden motorcycles? Off and on, you know, since I was probably 17. Oh, really? That's awesome. And then I got out of it for a long time. And then my husband, uh, wanted one and he bought he bought um he bought one several years ago i've had the one i got now for eight years but he bought one several years ago and uh um he would go to work and leave the key you know and i'd off i'd go <laughs> i'd ride it and he'd go he'd come home and he, and he got a little aggravated because he's like you need to get your own i don't know why he just he's you know one of these particular people that really likes their stuff the way they leave it Right. And I'm not as meticulous, you know, so I don't like wipe it down and all that when I'm done. I mean, I just like, you know, right. put it in there. He was like, ah, you've been on my bike again. You know? <laughs> and I, he wasn't mad, but in the interest of keeping the peace, you know, you need to pick your battles to stay married. And yeah, totally. That ain't one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, plus, you know, get your own bike. Well, all right then. Okay. Yeah. If I have to. <laughs> And twist my arm. And so if I see your two bikes side by side, is it like a Felix and Oscar situation? Is yours covered in mud? And oh, his no, is no. Sparkling it's nice. It's just he's an engineer, so he's really picky about things. He he always, you know, keeps everything very neat and clean. How did you guys meet? I don't even remember. No. No. Well, I had a boyfriend that was a went to school with him. Okay. That was in high school with my husband. Okay. And... So we were just friends of friends. Oh, I see. Okay. Is, and we were just around. I mean, I knew him for 12 years before I ever even dated him. Okay. Because, you know. Well, How did you end up dating? We both moved away from Charlotte right. for like three years. He moved up near D.C. I moved to South Carolina for a little bit. Then when we both moved back, I got laid off. I worked for Kroger Supermarkets. I got laid off from a job, so I started cutting grass. I love to cut grass. It's, <laughs> it's the so only job satisfying. I've, it's the only job I've ever been fired from. Oh. It's mowing lawns. Well, you just didn't show up or something because how'd you get fired from that? I just, you know, I hated it and um, I love to cut grass. Yeah, no, I even I, hot and sticky, all that. I don't care. They here's how much they hated me too. Was <laughs> um, it was it was in Martha's Vineyard, which is you know a pretty like uppity place, and, mm -hmm. and I'd been given this job as a favor. I was young and. Uh, the guy who owned the landscaping company did all this landscaping for a family friend who had like a really famous garden in Martha's Vineyard. So she was famous for designing the garden and he did all the work. Anyway, he ran, you know, a landscaping business. A lot of their bread and butter was mowing lawns. And they put me on this, you know, job with this guy who was just a psychotic drug user and, you know, and he actually told the boss, I, I told him I wasn't, we would talk, you know, like two guys in the truck. I was like, I don't know if this is the right job for me, you know. And uh, he told the boss that I was thinking about quitting. He didn't need to do that. No. And so on what turned out to be my last day, they, and I was, I got there at the beginning of the season. So everything was first cut. 
So all the grass was, you know, three or four feet tall. And they gave me their busted ass oldest mower. And they also set me out there with his foreman who was raised in a real military household. So he was a total asshole. <laughs> and the, the mower broke like four times during the day and I had to fix it. And when I was done mowing this lawn, it didn't even have, it was a power mower, but it didn't have pr- propulsion. You know, I had to push it. And when I was done doing that for eight hours, they fired me. And they had been planning to fire me all day long. They just put me on that shitty lawn as my last day. That was their their goodbye gesture to me. Right. Yeah. That wow. was Yeah. And the guy was like said the guy who'd been a complete asshole <clears throat> to me the whole time was like, Well, Jason, I'm, I'm this is a hard part of my job and I really hate having to do this, but I think we're gonna have to let you go. And I just looked at him like, You're a fucking dick. <laughs> and yeah. I and I just walked away. Did he pay you? They paid me. Well, as long as they paid you. No, they paid me. They weren't going to not do that because they had this other relationship, you know. And the guy wasn't dishonest. Mm. He just didn't like me. Yeah. And and I didn't like the job. And I But I would have quit respectfully. I would have sat down and said, listen, I, I want to thank you, but I don't think, you know, this is for me. So I'll work as long as you need me to. Right. But then, you know, I want to stop. Yeah. And he would have either said leave now or two weeks notice. I'd only worked there for two weeks. And, uh, but instead they just put me in that shit. Yeah. They don't ass. want you around for short time or attitude. Yeah. No, I, I don't blame yeah. them, but they didn't but have still, to be. still, they didn't have to yeah. be like that. No, they didn't have to be like that. Yeah. You know, people, they took pleasure in it. People like being the dumper instead of the dumpy. Yeah. So yeah. that's all that I think he was trying to. And I didn't get credit that. for some things too. I remember like they were, um, we were, they were laying a brick patio mm-hmm. and they had a bobcat. And the bobcat's pretty small and the bricks are pretty heavy and they were moving it all like on a pallet on the forks. And these guys, none of them are college educated, you know, but I was in college and good at math and all this shit. And so the bobcat kept tipping over, tipping forward. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, why don't you stack the, the bricks in like a pyramid? So you've got higher stacks, you know, next to the tractor and then they get lower and lower. And then, you know, that'll help with your leverage. Which they did that, and that saved the entire job, and they never gave me credit for that. He was like, oh, yeah, we figured out how to do this. I was like, you didn't figure that out, motherfucker. I figured that out. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's bullshit. Yep, yep. So anyway, so you were mowing lawns. Oh, yeah, and then uh, uh, I was uh, getting unemployment at the same time, see, so I could work for cash and double right, dip. sure, yeah. And um, I was cutting a guy's grass in Charlotte. I lived in South Carolina, but anyway, uh, my husband-to-be happened to call over there that day and was talking to his friend whose grass I was mowing. And his friend said, you'll never guess who's over here, Julie Scoggins. Well, it wasn't Scoggins then, but Julie's over here. And uh, he said, oh, well, um, I got some grass over here needs mowing. If she wants some more work, you know, send her over here when she's through. And I, I went over there and he had the tiniest yard. And I looked back, it was like a postage stamp. And I'm looking at, back at it and I'm thinking he wasn't even about getting his grass cut he just number one i think was trying to help me right to earn money i really think he wasn't just trying to put the moves on me i don't think that at all i think he was just trying to help me out right because he's a really nice guy and and then when i got over there you know i i did all kinds of work I, I, and uh we started to talk and he had a boat and i had a boat i was a single girl with, with, the, with a, a power boat. Yeah, right. That's unusual. Then you never see that. Well, I had dated a guy that taught me how to water ski before, uh-huh. and I loved it so much. And we would go to the river every weekend with his boat. Well, I got tired of him. <laughs> but not water skiing. But not water skiing. And so um, I bought my own boat 
Nice. And and I would take my girlfriends, you know, we would all go to the river. We called it the hen party at the river. And uh, and I had this uh, 1975 uh, Cadillac Coupe de Ville that I hooked to the, that I used to pull the trailer and the boat. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And I had a regular car, you know, my little Mazda, but right. that was the river the river car and the tag on it uh said l-a-n-d-y-o-t for land yacht you know <laughs> it was a great car <laughs> y-o-t yeah and um but we would go to the river and so when my husband and i got together he had this boat and he, he said you know i've never skied behind my own boat and i said well you've been dating the wrong women <laughs> and and i said why don't we go to the river uh, this weekend and i'll just pull you all you want and uh, cause I, I could drive a boat, I mean, you know, and, and so we did, and we had the greatest time and that was our thing. Every weekend we would go to the lake, you know, and just, and he'd bring his little dog. He had this little teacup poodle and, um, a straight man with a teacup poodle. Right. Well, it happens. Uh, well, it could happen. It, well, it did. <laughs> and, but I was like. The first time I met the dog, he was says, uh, "Can I bring my dog along for the weekend?" And I said, uh, "Sure, but um, if if you're gonna stay at my house, you know, you, I don't have a fence. It has to be small." And he goes, "No worries, it's a small dog." So he rolls up in the driveway, and I'm looking out through the blinds, just sort of trying to scope him out, you know. And he gets out of this Pontiac Fiero, which is kind of gay anyway. And then <laughs> it was a sporty car, but still. And so he gets out of the car. And he gets out with this little two, four and a half pound pocket dog. It was just a little tippy, little yappy freak, you know. Yeah, pooch in a pouch. Man, and I'm and I'm thinking, oh my God, I think he's got some latent tendencies, you know, that he just <laughs> needs to address. But um, I said something to him about it later. I said, uh, why would a straight man want a dog like that? And he said, let me tell you something. I take that dog for walks at the park, uh-huh. at Freedom Park in right. Charlotte. It's a big, nice park with a lake. He goes, I take that dog for walks around that lake, and every woman on that sidewalk stops and talks to me. Oh, yeah, right. I said, that dog is bait. <laughs> he said, yep. <laughs> he wasn't even shy about it. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a bait dog. That's funny. Yeah. So that's And that's how you knew you'd found your man. <laughs> well... It was it was uh, uh, the late '80s, and I had been, you know, going crazy. I was in my 20s and in the '80s, and I was going all crazy and dating everybody and having a good time. Right. Let's just leave it at that. That's what was happening in the <laughs> '80s. I was having a yeah. really, really good time, <laughs> but AIDS became uh, a very yeah, real, very real thing. Very real thing, and. It was a gay disease, but I was starting to know people who knew people right. that had died from it. Right. And it's it scared me so bad that I just started getting really, really picky <laughs> about, you know, who I'd sleep with. I mean, sure. just plain and simple. And so I got really and I ended up not dating much at all for like two years. I mean, it was like the the dick drought of nineteen uh, <laughs> of the late eighties, eighty nine. The, the great the great dick drought of eighty nine. Yeah, that's what it was. And but I mean, self imposed, but still. Yeah, sure. And so when I got together with my soon to be husband, I ju- I should have known whoever broke the drought would be 
the guy, the guy. Right. Yeah, right. You know, and it, and it was, and it was, and and now here we are, uh, getting ready to have our twenty seventh wedding anniversary. That's unbelievable. I know, but I think the secret to staying married to somebody though is one of you having the job that I have, in that you can go out of town <laughs> periodically. Yeah, having a little space. <laughs> yeah, because then you miss each other and you're happy to be back, you know. And Yeah, a friend of mine's dad was a pilot for most of his married life to his second wife. And uh, and he said that was the secret to the success of their marriage. He's like, every time I come home, it's like a honeymoon. Pilots you know? are whores. They're so notoriously hoary. <laughs> well, he, yeah, he, he, I don't know that he was. I'm sure he could have been, and I'm sure as a younger Although man. opportunity yeah. certainly was there. Yeah. Staying in hotels, they put the whole flight crew up. My yeah. brother's a flight attendant, so. So you know. I hear, yes. You hear all the stories, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the opportunity certainly is there, hanging out in the motel, hotel lounge. Right. Nothing at the to end do. of the shift. Oh, yeah. With a bedroom steps away. <laughs> I'm sure they, uh. Get in trouble sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure they do. I didn't mean to derail your. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. I was just saying that. that uh, no, this is this is all about you. You know, I'm more interested in hearing about you than talking to myself. But I just remember that phenomenon and and really taking that to heart when he said that. You know that that having some space in a relationship can be the key to keeping it alive. But you also have this saying that you you know that you're home one week every month for marriage preservation. Am I saying that right? Yep. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. accurate. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I, that that's also left an impression on me. So I'm not married, but uh, if I ever get back in a relationship like that, I'll be thinking. It's really not that hard to do because I'm at the point where I'm trying to not take gigs that I don't want to do. Right. You know, some of them are just sucky. I mean, they just are. Some... Some, the hotels are bad. They don't pay well. You know how it is when you're coming up in comedy. You, you take whatever to get the practice. But sure. I'm I'm, so, I'm at 19 years in. Right. And so I don't want to do those gigs anymore. But the trade-off is maybe not being as busy as you want to be. Right. But you have to hold on your value or, or you know, bookers talk. I mean, you know, they're going to, if one guy gets you to perform for this amount and then his buddy calls you up and says you know and offers you this and you go no i normally get this over here then he's gonna know you know because they talk of course yeah yeah so you have to establish a standard and kind of commit and then be willing to be home some so it's good to kind of have that in place that one week a month thing right because then i like i always make it like this year this this month it'll be thanksgiving week Right. I want to be home then anyway. Right. So. It'll be Christmas week. The week before Christmas and the week of Christmas are terrible for comedy. Okay. Yeah. Terrible because the weekend before Christmas, people aren't having Christmas parties now. It's crunch time. Right. Everyone's got it. They are hustling. Yeah. They're getting last minute. They're buying. They're in the mall. Yeah. You know, and so... From, they're not getting babysitters and going out. Oh, no. They're done with all that. This yeah. is getting ready for the throwdown, for the yeah. big, you know, finale for uh, Christmas. And then and then you have the week between Christmas and New Year's, which that can be a good week for comedy, I think, because sometimes people have relatives and friends staying over from out of town, and now Christmas is over, and it's not New Year's quite yet, and they want something to go out and do. Right. So sometimes those weekdays, you know, like a Wednesday, Thursday in there can be really that fun. Can, that can be good. That's they good. don't have to go to work. 
Right. They all got new clothes they want to wear out anyway. <laughs> that you know, Families in town and they're sick of talking to them. So this is something you can do with the family, so but not have a conversation. Go to a comedy show. Yeah, hopefully not have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did all of that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Thanksgiving is going to be interesting this year in a election year. I mean, I was invited to uh, a friend of mine's in California. That's the guy I was talking to bef- while I was in the car before coming in here. And it's a, a guy who's one of my best friends. Um, and we had a falling out, a ridiculous falling out a number of years ago. And now this is actually the first conversation I think we've had in eight years was today. And, oh, wow. Yeah, well, good. Um, I mean, it's been, we've been texting and kind of like putting this phone call together. But uh, <clears throat> but it's really great. I mean, this is this is this is a friend who, at the time, the trajectory of our friendship is he would have been the best man at my wedding had there been a wedding, you know. And then suddenly we just weren't friends for eight years. It's fucked up. Well, that's weird. Yeah. Well, you know, it involved a girl. It's the way that shit. Goes. That's how it happens. But I was going to spend Thanksgiving uh, with him and his family in California, and he let me know that some of his relatives coming voted for Trump, and a piece of me it doesn't know if I'm ready. For that, that Thanksgiving dinner yet? I think that's going to be yet. in a lot of families because it was so. It was a close vote. Yeah, I mean, not only was it close, but Hillary won the majority of the votes in the country. The popular vote. Yeah, the, I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm not someone who says we should do away with the electoral college just because it didn't go my way. You know, it always sort of bothers me that the losing team wants to do away with the electoral college and the winning team says, no, it's important. <laughs> it's pretty much every four years that argument. Yeah, happens. but my husband is a pretty well-read guy and he he's he is he does more research and reading and things than I do. Right. And um, he said that long before the election. He we, when we, we were even talking about it and he said there's just no way Trump's going to win this. There's just no way. He's not qualified. This country cannot possibly do that. You know, and and he was shocked. He sat up that night when the results were coming in. Uh-huh. He was up still at like 1:15 in the morning, which never happens. And he was just People were glued and coming unglued. I mean, it was becoming... I was asleep. I fell asleep at like uh, 8 because I had my daughter that night and I usually pass out with her and then crawl into my bed when I eventually wake up. And and then it was one of those times where I woke up at 2.15 in the morning and I accidentally turned on my iPhone. Like I picked it up and I was walking to the bathroom or something and, and it, I, it went from, uh, you know, airplane mode to not airplane mode somehow. And I was like, well, maybe I'll see if I can YouTube Hillary's victory speech. You know, it must be over by now. And I looked on, and there's all these commentators, and they're talking, and it hasn't been decided. But, you know, then I saw that Trump was ahead. He was, like, very close to the 270 that he needed, and she was not that close. And everything they'd been saying when I kind of clocked out at 8 o'clock were, you know, they were showing all the different ways Hillary could win and all the long shots Trump needed to in order to succeed and the blue wall and this and that. Names for everything. She lost them all. You know, well, every one of them. Well, it sends a message. I mean, people yeah. are just fed up. Yep. And my husband is very liberal, very, very liberal. I'm a little further over than he is just because I'm a registered independent and, and I want to be able to vote for whoever but that I want to. Right. But... um you know, I'm I'm all for everybody being treated equally. Well, that's without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. I have a gay brother, and uh, you know, I, I just I'm all about the LGBT rights and all of that. So, 
Yeah, that's the problem for me. I mean, the, the problem for me with the conservative agenda is just the social backtracking they want to do all the time. I mean, things are moving in a direction and they're constantly trying to pull it back unnaturally to something that's you know, never should have. ago. And it never should have made sense in the first <clears throat> place and it definitely doesn't make sense now. Right. It's just not the way things are. Well, people now are um, uh, black friends of mine. I'm, I'm more than one have told one told me this morning we were talking on the phone this morning and she said she was at a gas station um just the other day and uh some guy just said to her you know we're gonna send all of you back to africa you know and unbelievable it's just emboldened them and empowered them to now all of a sudden it's okay to act like that and i normally i wouldn't have believed I take everything with a grain of salt. If somebody tells me that that happened, especially if it's on Facebook, right? I'm going to say, did it happen to you? Were you there? Did you hear it? Did you witness it? Or is this just something you're sharing that somebody has told you that you not? And this happened to her. Right. And when I heard that, that was pretty sobering. I mean, that's not hearsay anymore. And to be fair, there was an exchange that had happened with someone else standing in the line that started it. Like the, the guy who said it had a Confederate flag or something on his hat. Right. Okay. And then there was another black kid in the line that said something to him first and started it. Okay. To be fair, to right. be fair. Um, but my friend had absolutely nothing to do with it. And then he turns around to all the black people standing there, and that was what he said. But it wasn't like he just walked up in a line to her and said, right. hey, oh, by the way. It wasn't <laughs> you know, unprovoked, but it was still pretty uncool. It was still pretty uh, rude. And uh, yeah. and and in another era, or in a, not another era, but before the election, that might not have happened. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a time when that was totally normal and acceptable in this country and then we evolved past it to where it was really really not okay and then the thought of going back to that i mean that's just unfathomable for people and i mean i'm jewish and you know people don't necessarily know that right away i usually tell them but i mean it's not as it's not as obvious a minority as you know being a person of color sure and so a lot of times i'll find out how anti-Semitic people are long before they realize I'm Jewish. You know, I remember I lived in North Carolina when I was 18 and I was dating a woman. We were driving down to Myrtle Beach. We lived in Wrightsville Beach and we decided to take a weekend together and we drove past some exit. She's like, oh, my parents live right up that hill. And and I was not in any shape to meet her parents. And and I was like, okay, you know, she's like, what's the matter? You, you don't want to meet my parents? I was like, I mean, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. And she said, what about, you know, during Christmas? You're not going to meet my parents during Christmas? And I said, well, I don't celebrate at Christmas. I'm Jewish. And she's like, no, you're not, are you? And I could tell when you're Jewish, you have radar for, you know, when you're dealing with something. And I said, no, of course not, you know, but would it matter if I was? And she said, well, it's not like I'm going to marry you. And wow. I, yeah. I was like, okay. Well, let's just get that out there. I know open. everything I need to know. You know, and we were young. I was 18. She was 21 or something like that. I mean... We probably weren't going to get married anyway, but the to, fact that she'd already made her mind up was yeah, good. yeah. I mean, it was you know, it, well, 
she'd made up her mind about marrying me, but she'd more importantly made up her mind about marrying a Jewish person. I don't understand that either, because I was brought, I was raised Southern Baptist, and and not the kind of Southern Baptist that you picture Southern Baptist. Right. Because the Southern Baptist, the, the church that I belong to, succeeded, seceded from the Southern Baptist Convention years ago because of the Southern Baptist Convention's views on uh, gays in the church. Okay. And they are very, very liberal in that regard, for a Baptist church especially. Yours is. Yes. Because then you're saying the Baptists in general are not. No. Yeah. But when I was brought up that way, um, I never... I never thought anything about people. Jewish people were just like I was. I mean, they were the, they looked like me, and they sound pretty much like me. Maybe not quite as much Southern accent, but <laughs> well, if they're um, born in the South. They're gonna sound just the Southern. They believed in the same God, so I thought. Yeah. I mean, the the role of Jesus is up for debate, but other than that, you know, it, I really never gave it a second thought. I just. If I met someone that was Jewish, my first inclination was not, ooh, like they're weird. It was like, oh, all right, what else? You know, I never. Yeah, I mean. So for for people to react that way when you tell them, it's like, really? To me. Yeah, it's surprising, but it it happens. It is surprising to me. I don't think they're different at all. I I mean, I talk a lot about it in my comedy, you know. I mean, I joke around about it a lot Mm -hmm. and. And, and I can always feel here in the South, when I say something about being Jewish, I can feel the move, the room recede. I can feel the room take a step back from me almost every time. Well, it could be because it's unfamiliar. Maybe they don't know anybody who is. I just can't imagine that. These aren't, you know, people who live under a rock. I mean, I'm not playing in motorcycle bars yet. You know, I mean, these are. But why would that even put them off? I don't know. I'm just telling you it happens, you know, that is so weird to me. Uh, but you know, I have this uh, bit that I do where, you know, I, I, um, I'm not doing it this time because I did it last time I was at this place. I'm trying to do all different material, but, uh, I talk about how living in the South, you know, I talk about Asheville being like the last notch on the Bible belt, you know, because it's pretty open-minded spiritually, you know, as long as you're Christian. Um, and when I first started dating online here, you know, and it said, you, you know, describe your religion, more than one person said things like, well, I was born and raised Baptist, but I'm open to other religions like Methodist, you know, that's Protestant to me. That all falls in the same. Of family. course. Yeah. Right. No, they would, they would say I'm, I'm, they thought that that's a different religion. And I was just like reading that as a one Jew. One dunks, one sprinkles. I mean, <laughs> what is the big deal? It's the same Bible, the same book. Yeah, right. Well, that to them was open-minded. So it was just a very, that was... I guess you just know what you're exposed to. I you know guess. what you're exposed to? And you and you imagine like, you know, here, like where we're performing, this theater actually was a church at one point, And it's on Church Street. And that street just has every different kind of church represented. So you can imagine growing up, you went to the same church all your life and all churches, they all get out at around the same time on Sunday, you know, and everybody files out from these different kinds of churches. And what's that? Well, those are Baptists over there, sweetie, or those are Protestants or Methodists. They're Lutherans. They think differently than we do. That's why we go to this church. Like I can imagine those conversations. So people actually think that that's substantially different. Uh, For me, that's a very small shift of the needle, but I'm telling you, it's, it's... I just want people to be tolerant of each other. That's all I... You just do your thing. You do you. I do me. You know, 
just be tolerant. And that's what blows my mind about this whole Trump thing. Right. Is the intolerance. Is just. How tolerant do you find yourself being of avid Trump supporters? It depends on how, in what way they are avid. Yeah. Because I'm really, really, really trying very, very hard to understand the mentality. And, and at first I thought there's just no way that anybody could hear the things that he said and the comments and the point of view and the uh, making fun of the disabled person and all those things that we all know about now. Um, that there's just no way I can overlook that stuff. Right. Okay. And, I, and so I'm trying to figure out how people can justify voting for him. And there's a lot of them. Yeah. And I cannot believe that everybody that voted for him is a mean, hateful, racist person. They just can't be. However, the fact that they're willing to look the other way for the causes they do support kind of is a worrisome. Yeah, it scares me, you know. I it mean, is worrisome. Not but, not every German was a Nazi. No. But they were all complicit, and some horrible things happened. Not all. There were a very, very, very small number that were not complicit. And, and they, not all race, yeah. and not all people that voted for Trump are racist. Right. But every racist voted for Trump. Right. I guarantee that. Yeah. There are, I cannot imagine one single racist person that voted for anybody else. Gary Johnson or Hillary Clinton. Right. Or uh, what's her face in the... Um, Jill Stein. Jill Stein in yeah. the Green Party. Yeah. Um, so that being said, um, I'm trying to to figure out what it is. They're just, I think they're just fed up and they just wanted somebody that wasn't, I believe if Bernie Sanders had been the Democratic candidate, Trump would have never won. I agree. Yeah. And they were saying that early on, they were doing all these, you know, sort of. He was outside of the establishments, outside of the political good old boy network and all of that. Yeah. And they did these things. I saw this like this uh, top view where they had people, Democrats in blue and Republicans in red, everybody allegedly, legitimately self-identified that way. And they asked them a bunch of questions like, you know, are you Republican or Democrat? Everybody split up. So you see the room half and half. And then uh, would you vote for Hillary or Bernie? And then, you know, the, the blue people... There were some blues and some reds in the Bernie section and very, some blues and very few reds in the Hillary section, you know. And then at the end, they were all building up to who would you vote for, Bernie or Trump, and almost everybody, except for like three out of 100, would have voted for Bernie. Now, this is early on. You know, Trump obviously built a lot of momentum as things went. I mean, it's like the, wor the, the worst things he said, the more momentum he built. It was well, just I incredible. Well, I think that was all, I hope. I hope that was all just his strategy for getting attention and for getting free press, but more out. He's a he's a a, a reality TV star first right. and a media whore first. So I hope that that was his strategy for getting elected was simply to be as outrageous as he could and get the cameras and keep the cameras on him. And now that he he's did it. in the office, I hope and pray that the real heart of the guy is going to show through and not be what it took to be elected, but rather the guy who really was never a Republican to start with 
and who the Republican Party did not get behind right. at all. Ted yeah. Cruz, all these dudes, you know, they weren't they weren't about him. So and and he gave money to uh, the Clintons, you right. know, and and supported them. So I hope that now he's in there, that he's gonna use it to good for good, and and uh, and not be as as obnoxious as he was uh, in the getting elected and to get elected. Yeah. So well, I'm with you. I, I, I hope so too. Yeah, I hope so too. Well, we can move on beyond politics. It's hard. I realize every conversation I have with people that turns to this right but now. But that's where everybody is. That's what everybody cares about right now. And and, and the, there's people that are upset and in mourning, and there's people that are celebrating and have hope. And you, everybody needs hope. When you don't have hope anymore, you got nothing. You got nothing. When my father passed away and my mom was over, at, she didn't even want to be here anymore. She missed him so badly. She had no more hope. She had no nothing. And it was devastating to see. Mm. And, and we as people, I think, need to have hope. So I'm, that's why I'm trying to find the silver lining, if there is one, in this whole situation. And that's why I feel like it helps to talk it out with people. Some like-minded, some not. Yeah. We got to meet in the middle, though. Well, we got to live in this country together and hopefully parents, peacefully. So. My, I, when I, you heard me say in my act last night, when I was growing up, my parents were, uh, one was a registered Democrat and one was a registered Republican. I don't even know how they did it. And, well, it was a different era. It was yeah. a different time. People compromised and they got along back then. And now they're just polarized and locked down and my way or the highway. It's not the United States of America. Yeah. I broke up with someone because she voted for Trump. Oh really? Just yeah, this recently? I did, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the relationship was ending anyway, but um, she had never voted before and never even cared. And she was like, "I don't even care. I don't believe it. It's all bullshit," you know. And I said, "Well, I'm sorry you feel that way. I understand. She's a lot younger than I am, and and I remember being that age, and uh, and feeling like I didn't want to vote. And my vote didn't matter. I remember saying all the same things." And I said, "Well, I hope you do vote, you know, and I hope you vote for Hillary Clinton because you're a minority and you're a woman." You know, and those are two groups that uh, Hillary cares much more about than Trump. And she kind of disappeared on me for a while. And it turns out she was had suddenly developed some interest in the election, did a bunch of research, voted for Trump. And when it was over, she called me gloating like her team had won the World Series. And I don't think she meant it that way. I think she just was like. You know, I'm just so excited. I've never voted before. And the guy I voted for won. And I'm just so excited. And it was like, it was kind of like texting in her vote for the survivor winner, you know? And that's why I thought your reality TV, you know, I mean, you didn't have to make that up, but that it's, it's not even, it's so true. It's not a metaphor, but I sort of feel like we all watch this election unfold on TV as a culture. We're very acclimated to reality TV. People think reality TV is real. And I think they almost felt like this election was that level of real. And so they were like voting for Trump, you know, like they would vote for someone on American, American Idol. American Idol, that's what I was just thinking too. Yeah, and I just, I, I really think that there's a, a lack of sophistication among some people, and I'm not going to say everyone, but enough, you know, to like somehow not grok that this is different and that this is the most powerful person on the planet because we're the most powerful country on the this planet. This country is so in 2000 in the 21st century 
this country, the people and the culture of the United States, they are so addicted to medications, to pain medicines, to opioids. Right. It is, it is epidemic. We are so doped up and so drugged, and you pair that with, the, with homes not having two parents in them anymore, there's no moral backbone here. I mean, there is, but it's not the majority anymore. Right. There's blended households. There's, it's such a crazy, complicated dynamic. And then you pair that up with schools that are so focused on numbers and they don't teach anymore. And the parents aren't teaching and they expect the school, to, the teachers to do it. And you've got this whole culture of people coming up to become voting age that are so dumbed down right? that uh, I saw Mike Rowe, you know, the dirty jobs guy, uh-huh. Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe uh, um, uh, posted a thing on uh, YouTube, and um, he's very conservative. But one of the things he said was that his, uh, one of his fans uh, tweeted him and said, you have uh, a huge fan base would you please, this election, uh, remind all of your followers to be sure that they vote and that it is their civic duty? And he said his rebuttal to that, his answer to that was, you know, no, I won't. And the reason I won't is because it's not, first of all, a duty. It is a right in this country to be able to vote if you want to vote. But it is not a duty. Everybody and everybody isn't qualified to make the decisions Interesting. Yeah. That, that you make as a voter. And if you're not willing to do the research and the legwork and really know who you're choosing and why, if you're just doing it just because everybody on your street has signs in, your, in their yards that say this is the person, just stay your ass at home, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's and, an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I you thought know, that was pretty cool. Yeah, an un, an an uninformed vote is more dangerous than an informed you're, vote. You're, th- you're in pissing the wrong it direction. away. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's a privilege. I think I think the the idea about it being a duty is that it's almost like it's a privilege that not everybody has, and so because we have that privilege, it's almost like we have a duty to exercise it in order to uh, sort of properly exercise our freedom you know a freedom that we take for granted in this mm-hmm. country i mean obama just gave his last talk as president in europe and he was in germany and he said you know don't take democracy for granted don't take this system of government that we've created for granted it could change i mean i'm gonna miss the hell out of that guy i don't know about you but i mean i, I in my lifetime and Clinton was a very interesting president. I don't think he's such a terrific guy, but I think he was a very good president. But Obama, to me, is an amazing man. And he's got an amazing wife. I don't know anything about their kids, but I bet you they're going to be off the fucking charts. And, you know, we've had a president who thinks, really thinks about what he's going to say and what he's going to do. And he's may have done things that, you know, I wish he would have done differently or maybe things I wish he wouldn't have done. But I trust his process of coming to those decisions. And with Trump, I don't even think there is a process. You know, the process is is very self-referential and uh, and seemingly very impulsive. I don't know. We'll see. You know, he's impulsive about his tweets. I mean, he's 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 bullying the New York Times through his Twitter account. 
I mean, it's just unbelievable. So, anyway, well, honestly, I'm so uh, interested and fascinated. Every conversation you know, I've had, I mean, we've, I'm like, don't tell me. I want to save it for the podcast. Uh, so, I do want to turn a little bit. Uh, it's fine if we end up back in politics. If it happens, it happens. But, um, you know, I'm a new comic. I've been doing this for a little over a year. Uh, I'm 47. So it was my 46th birthday present to myself was to go on stage for five minutes and hopefully for my mom's sake, get it out of my system. <laughs> but uh, as it turns out, I love it. And I really feel like it's a fit. And I see the complications with it and starting this late in life. And, you know, but... You can't let that be. Oh, I'm not. I'm, I don't let anything stop me. You know. I believe I, it. I'm one of these people that believes everything's happens. Everything happens the way it's supposed to, and that your path is what is, your unique life mission, whatever that is. That that when if you aren't drawn to do something until late, so be it. Right. It meant that you were supposed to have a career, a job, that uh, that pay. You were supposed to have your daughter. You were supposed to have all these things first. And now you can do something for you. Well, and I also feel like, I mean, my personal feeling about my comedy, and I know I have a long way to go, but I feel like I finally have things to talk about. And now I'm just kind of figuring out how exactly to, to talk about them in the way that's most effective. And of course, I'm learning those things. Like I have, you know, um, that woman who voted for Trump, I wrote while we were together and things were good. I wrote a really great joke about our relationship and I shared it with her before I ever did it publicly. Cause I wanted to make sure she was okay with it. And I've had to, I've decided to cut the last bit, which to me is the best part, but I really got, I, I lost my audience with that last bit, especially the women. And, and I learned from uh, Sid Davis. He said, you've got to keep the women in the audience happy. <laughs> it's like, that's, you know, the men, aren't going to laugh at stuff that's at the women's expense in front of the women they're with. Unless you Unless, give equal time. Yeah, you got to give at least equal time. you yeah. got to, at yeah. the minimum. Yeah, no, he wasn't time. saying, you know, it has to be all, you know, in favor of the women because that's not a believable act either. But he just said it's got to be, it's got to go both ways. And and so I'm I'm working with that. He said that in, in the context of uh, of a joke that I do about my ex and my, and my daughter. And I don't do it so much anymore. Uh, but... Anyway, it was really funny. I ended up rewriting it and making it even that particular joke. I, I was like, well, the only way that works for me is I'm actually saying this awful thing to my daughter. That made it funnier to me. And it is funnier, you know, but it's off. It's like awful funny. But anyhow, this this other joke about this now ex-girlfriend, um, you know, I cut the last piece of it. I learned after listening back, I record all my sessions, you know, and all my performances and listening back to where people were still laughing and still totally with me. And then where I lost them. And then I remember Ray Romano saying that he grades all his jokes, A, B, C, D, E, F, you know, <clears throat> and, and based on how much laughter he gets, he gives it a grade. And at some point, you know, he gets rid of all the F's and then he gets rid of all the E's and he keeps getting better and better till they're all A jokes. And I realized if I applied his method, I was not as rigorous about it, but if I applied his method to this joke, that this last piece was, you know, a C or a D in terms of laughter. It's an right. A in terms of concept, but it's a C or a D in and terms of laughter. And it bothers me when I hear comics go, well, some of these are just for me. Yeah. No, they're not. Yeah, none of them should be just for you. No, right? they're not. Yeah. People paid to see you, and you're wasting valuable time. And and, and they're, you're wasting their attention for anything that's less than... 
what it needs to be for them. Right. And you have to relate. Yeah. You have to relate. And if you're leaving them behind, you don't, you're not up there to, you know, spout your point of view if they don't, they don't have to agree with you, but you have to have that payoff. Right. At some point, there has to be that payoff in the joke. It has to, you know, you can, you can, they can disagree with you, but if it's so damn funny that they laugh no matter what, then keep it. Right. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. If, they, if you're pissing them all off and they're like, all right, screw this guy. They're getting up to go to the bathroom now, and you see them disconnect. Yeah, that's you got to pay attention to that. Yeah, but I will say, in in fairness, uh, to let, let me just address the the disconnect issue. In 19 years of doing this, I've had numerous times. It's going to happen. People will get up and walk out. They'll take their things right and leave. You cannot ever assume. It's because of something you said. Hmm. Because you don't know what's going on with them. You don't know if they're uh, about to be divorced and this was their last try at getting together and going out and doing something. You don't know if they were on the fence about whether or not to leave the kid home with the babysitter tonight and maybe try to go out and have some fun. And now they got a text. Right. You just don't know. So when people get up, even if they're right on the stage and leave, for you to rag them and to give them crap for leaving, I never do that. Mm. Because you just don't know their story. Right. I think that's a pretty good And I've had people I've had people not laugh the whole set. Years and years and years ago. I mean, we're talking 15 years ago. There was a couple, I was doing a show in Goldsboro, North Carolina, of all things. It's just a nothing podunk little, you know, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base is there. There's nothing there. And uh, there was a couple and maybe a a teenage daughter was with them or something, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, whatever. And uh, they just weren't very happy. And they looked like, you know, folded arms, classic, you know, closed posture, the whole thing. And I thought... Man, they just don't like me at all. And I was really stressing. And it was giving me a headache you know, <laughs> on stage. And so at the end of the night, I'm standing over selling my little swag, you know, my little T-shirts and stuff. And they came over. And the woman touched me on the arm. And she said, I just want you to know that four months ago, my teenage son committed suicide. And... This is the first time that we've been out. Mm. And we needed this so bad. And, you know, I'm like, well, I'm thinking, well, why weren't you laughing if you needed it so bad? But what it, what it, the point of it is that just because they weren't cracking up and, and drinks weren't flying out their nose and slapping their thighs and slapping the table doesn't mean that you were failing. Right. And uh, just don't let those things, it's hard, especially when you're new as a comic, to look out over the audience and see people that don't look like they're digging you and obsess on them. The whole rest of the room could be dying. Right. But that one table is looking all pissed off and you're like, God, what do I have to say to get them? And you start working on them. And I've seen comics actually lash out and call them out. What, you don't speak English? What the hell's wrong with you people? You know, or 
somebody pissing your Wheaties or, you know, they'll say something. <laughs> right. And I'm like, don't do that. Don't do yeah. that. You don't know what's going on with those people. That guy might have concealed carry. <laughs> you don't know. Absolutely. He might bust a cap in your ass in a minute. You don't know. You know, so just don't judge. Yeah. It's hard not to, but don't judge. No, it's true. You know, I learned that I teach yoga also. And, and uh, it's really the same thing as a yoga teacher. You'll have people who come to your class and you just... They never seem happy and they always sit in the back and they leave right away. And, and it feels like, God, you know, this person's been coming for six months and I just can't seem to get through to them. If you weren't getting through to them, they wouldn't have been coming for six months. True. You know, and, and occasionally that person will come up to you at some obscure time and just say, you know, I just want you to know how much your class means to me. This is the one hour of the week that I have to do something just for myself. And I come to your class, you know, or like, I mean, that kind of thing happens. And it's, it's a, you know, it's the yoga version of what you're talking about. Yeah. So I, I learned fortunately in that arena, uh, that that applies, you know, um, I did have a thing the other night where I was performing at sort of like a half open mic, half showcase kind of event. It was, it was not a strict open mic cause it wasn't anybody could go up, but it was in a place we do open mics all the time in Asheville. And these guys just did kind of an informal show and, and they asked me if I wanted to go up. And so I did, and I ended up having the best set of anybody that night in that room. But for, I was up for like 15 minutes and I was having a great conversation with the people in the sort of front in the inner circle, but in the back, they were just talking so loud. And I tried to get them. I even sang to them in the back. It's like, Hey, you in the back, you know, and I got everybody singing to the people in the back to get them to stop talking. And we got them to stop for literally four seconds. You know, I was like, thank you. And well, then, they weren't there for comedy. No, they right? weren't there. for. Well, they had been heckling and, and got in fights with other comics. I mean, it, it got pretty bad before me. And I mean, the comic before me actually just, they went up and took the mic out of his hand, you know, <laughs> and he gave it to him willingly. I mean, it was just, it was. That sounds horrible. It was horrible. And I went up after that. Oh, uh, but I actually had like a really great set because I got, I just won them over somehow, you know, and. and Good for you. And That's it was, quite a feat. No, it was a feat. But there was a time in the middle where I was where I was saying, you know, they were still talking in the back. And I said, you know, I, f- I feel like nobody's listening. Now I feel like nobody's listening. And the people in the front are like, no, no, we're listening. And I said, okay, then you know what the problem is? I just need to focus on you guys who actually do care and not worry about the half of the room that, you know, is indifferent. And then everybody applauded that. That was Good. like the loudest applause. So it was like me having a really honest moment, which I think actually... Those are the best moments on, in comedy, those honest moments. And uh, so anyway, um, and then from then on, then I then they were mine for the next eight minutes or whatever until it was over. Uh, and those people eventually left. They finally they left. They weren't there for comedy. Yeah. You were in the way of their hooking up. Yeah. Well, I said, I was like, you guys, there's 30 feet down the hall. There's a bar where you can have this conversation and it's appropriate. You're just in the one room where They're you're just, not supposed to be talking. Right. They're just so, assholes. Yeah. I mean, it happens. So... Uh, but I just think it's amazing that you've been doing this as long as you have. And, and I mean, I know that, I mean, that's what it is, but I still, when I meet somebody who's doing, you've got just the best attitude of anyone I've met. You seem to really enjoy it. I mean, last night we had a, a half full house and that didn't seem to phase you one bit. You were like, I love that audience. I had so much they fun. Were. They were all 110% mentally. They were right there dialed in. I mean, what more can you want? Just more of them? Right. 
Don't and, and and never ever punish the ones that showed up. Right. For the ones who didn't. Of course. Damn, they're here. You know, they came out. And uh, I, that's another thing. That's another pet peeve. And and this is an amateur move that I see amateurs do. And that is acknowledging that the crowd is small. Mm. I never ever acknowledge that the crowd is small. Why? Why? Why point out that? Everybody didn't think this was as good an idea as you did. Right. Why point that out? You know, if anything, if you're going to acknowledge it, you know, it's like, well, they missed out. Look at this is awesome that we need to grow this. Yeah. You need to be telling people about this. When you leave here and go back to work on Monday, you need people say, what'd you do this weekend? You tell them. I went to Gutbusters, you know, and at the Hendersonville Theater and we had an absolute ball. And everybody was great, and it was fun, a good night. You yeah, know? it was. Well, it was a real, it was a real lesson for me. I mean, my opening joke <laughs> was to that extent, to, but it was deliberate. You know, I was like, I was going to do some crowd work, but you know, there's so few of you, I maybe we'll do some couples therapy. You know, um, so I mean, it's, I think it's a clever, right, fun right. thing to say, and it's kind of engaging the crowd in a different way. Uh, my ex girlfriend was there with her new boyfriend, so she was like, "We talked about it today." She's like, "I was no way I was raising my hand when you asked that question." So I guess maybe what annoys me more about comics that that do that is that they're not original with it a lot, and that's original what you said. But so many of them say, you know, we could have all ridden together. We could have done this in my hotel room. You know, right. I could have just sat at your table and done it. And that's not original. That's right. been done, been done, been done. And I, I, think, I think when you are truthful and more sincere, I just like that. And, and maybe that's what is really uh, more annoying to me than actually acknowledging that they're in a good crowd. Yeah. He's doing it, it in a hacky way. You're right. Yeah. The whole hack thing. I mean, every once in a while, I have this one thing I do right now, and it feels totally hacky to me, but people laugh at it. And I don't know if I should do it or not. You know, it's well, like, because, it? uh, okay, well, so I have a mustache right now, which is not my normal look. You've never met me before, but I don't generally have a mustache. Um, it's Movember and that's, you know, you know, when a bunch of yuppie men manscape their faces uh. know, to look like their favorite seventies adult film star, <clears throat> uh, and raise money for prostate cancer. And I said, you know, if they were honest, they would call it porn stash for prostates. You know, um, and people laugh at that because it's alliterate, it's alliterative and, sure. you know, and it's cute, but I feel like an idiot for saying it because most of my stuff is way more, you gotta be following my brain to get there. And I do very few lines like that, mm -hmm. but those, they work. That's not hacky. No, no, it feels it. Well, eventually, well, it won't be this month any longer, and yeah. and you'll stop saying it. Yeah, right. Well, that's the other thing. I don't. I try not to do material that's so temporal. You know, I don't like to do current event material. I don't like to do political material. You but know. that's what people want. And if you and just who do you who do you like to watch? Who, I mean, who my, do you admire? I mean, among the long list, Louis C.K., Chris Rock. I know that's such low-hanging fruit, but I have really what I consider to be sophisticated reasons for liking those guys. Um, Why is it low-hanging fruit? Just because they have such mass appeal? Yeah, just because they're so famous and everybody's heard of them, you know. But there's a reason. There's a reason that they are so famous and everybody's heard of them. And it's not because they avoid topical material. 
It's not because they write stuff that's got legs, that's got longevity. It's because you can go and listen to their latest CD, DVD, whatever, and sort of get a grip on how you feel about stuff too and compare your thoughts. That's what people are doing. They're, they're, they're searching for validation, you know, when they listen to uh, comedy, I think, with their points of view and everything. Yeah. And I, I don't want to commit to politically on stage to one side or another because my whole goal in talking about anything political is to bring us back together. Right. And it's so polarizing, and I don't want to do that because I think there's enough of that. And yeah. believe me, I mean, the people that are willing to pick a team and commit to it, you have your following. Everybody has their following. You know, Jeff Dunham has done, ever since he came up with that Ahmed the Dead Terrorist, <laughs> he has totally, he just did Carnegie Hall. It's not a bad thing. Right. It's worked. And he is totally a Trump supporter, and he's totally right. And then you've got uh, Louis C.K., and then you've got uh, Kathleen Madigan, who refers to uh, Trump as uh, the Great Pumpkin. <laughs> and, you know, Bill Maher and all the uh, classic extreme left. Right. And, and they have their following. So it's not bad. It's just that I feel like there's enough of that. You know, so I want people that can have their opinions and still find the common ground. That we all have, because I think, I think that's the hope, is getting back to where we can agree and compromise and learn how to give and take. People don't know how to compromise. I mean, kids don't know how to do it. That's why there's so many fights and issues in schools and bullying, and because they don't know how to talk stuff out. They don't know how to come to a middle ground. Nobody knows how to give and take anymore. Yeah, it's just this is oh no, that's not right. Bam. <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's true so well I, I remember i actually it really stood out for me last night uh during your set when you started talking about politics and you did not say who you voted for you went right past it yep and it was so great and i remember as a comedian sitting in the back studying what you're doing you know and they're braced to see which side i'm gonna yeah but you didn't even come you mm -mm. you didn't give it to them and they lost interest they didn't care because they were so and what i mean they lost interest in your political affiliation they didn't lose interest in your act right yeah i mean they were just so like great well okay so you went right by that so i think they knew they weren't going to get it and immediately were interested in what you actually were going to say that this is a fresh all, point of view. Yeah, that they could all get in, you know, in with. Somebody's not going to lock down and say, "Damn it, this is why I think this needs to be this way." Right. For once, for once, everybody friggin' does that. Everybody now, my way or the highway. Uh, this is why, and everybody that doesn't feel this way are an idiot. People use that word, dumbass, idiot, moron, all day on both sides, and it just it bothers me. Because we're not. We're not all idiots. Yeah, there's some. <laughs> but, you know, that's everywhere. Everybody's got their little group. But overall, there's a lot of really super educated, smart, intelligent people with high IQs that have voted on both sides of this thing. Right. And we can't all on the one side be idiots. You know, we're not. So... I just want to, I just want to get in the common ground and let's, let's figure, let's start where we 
agree and work outward. Right. And figure out where we're starting to break it down. It's starting to break down and we're starting to split and then fix that. I know it's easier said than done, obviously, but it just breaks my heart to see everybody so hate-filled. Well, you're so genuinely, I'm just, I'm listening to you and I'm, I have the advantage of watching you and just seeing your passion, you know, yeah. uh, but I think you so genuinely come from that place mm-hmm. that it works. You know, it fuels your act. It fuels your conversation. It fuels your relationships. I'm sure, you know, I think that's not the, uh, come from place for all people. You know, I think it's very, uh, it's very easy. It's easier to identify with a position, a point of view, another group, whatever, and and have that be a starting point. It's very hard to have the starting point be common ground and yeah, let's work this out. I mean, that is that is hard. It's risky. It's vulnerable. It requires humility. There's a lot of things. That's involved. the key right there. It's risky. It's vulnerable and requires humility. That's very well put, but it's true, and people have got to get back. I think for the success, for the for the survival of all of us, they need to work at it. You know, if you're not good at something, you can get better at it if you try. Right. And people are just lazy, you know, and they and it's easier to just side with everybody that around them that says, you know, okay, it's it's not fun to be the unpopular one. They have the unpopular point of view, you know. And in the South, you know, for you to be left, you're in the closet. Yeah. Why? There's, it was a 50-50 vote almost, you know. It was, there's a lot of them around. It's just that one group is more vocal and more demonstrative than the other. Is that why? They're more intimidating. So the Well, it wasn't 50-50 in the South. No, not in the South, not, but it wasn't in, even in the close. country. In the country, yeah. But right. I mean, uh, but, you know, the vote... Pretty regularly, even when the Democrats win, even when Obama won, if you looked at the map, just the geography, you know, most of the landmass was red. And it's just that, you know, the people who live in cities, the more urban and and therefore, you know, seemingly higher percentage of educated and intellectual people i'm not trying and I'm, I'm trying to be very careful how i say this because i am not interested in disparaging anybody in this right. statement but i'm just saying in those kinds of environments where people are drawn to the urban lifestyle and they do tend to be educated and it's faster moving and it requires a different skill set and experience set than other ways of life uh, although there's very few things that are more sophisticated these days than farming. <laughs> it's like you got to be a, it's a, a rocket scientist to be a successful farmer these days. But, uh, you know, generally speaking, uh, those people live on the coasts, you know, and in Chicago, you know, and a few cities peppered in between. Uh, and that's where a lot of the money is in the country, but it's not where a lot of the food comes from. Like I was imagining, I've been imagining since this election, I was like, what if we actually split the country back up? You know, Texas has been talking about seceding from the union for a long time. And everyone's like, yeah, go, go for it. We don't need you or like you. But I just had this thought, like, what if the blue states became one country and the red states became another country? Like, would that be better? And I was sort of playing it out in my mind. I, you know, haven't concluded it. But I was like, wow, if if that happens, we lose a lot of our food, you know, or we have to buy. Now we have to buy our food from this enemy state. You know, we're no longer 
It's it's no but longer. Then what, a, did the, what would the blue have that the red needed from them? I don't know. I if, don't either. I don't know if there'd be anything, you know, except entertainment. We could charge them more to watch movies. You yeah, because all the entertainment people, all of them. Yeah, that's all. California. The, yeah, I mean they the Californias. They refer to the entire, you know, three thousand miles that separates L.A. and New York as the flyover states. I mean, that's, it doesn't get they any would, more obnoxious than that. They would need. Uh, they would need art, interior design, hair dressing. <laughs> yeah, I mean they. You know, fashion design, all the things that are typically. Gay and uh, flight attendants. Uh, <laughs> I'm going for the stereotypical right. who gay would, stuff. Who would serve drinks on airplanes if we Lesbian split the country in half? Lesbian I don't know. That's a good. That's a good thing to think about. What would What would each offer the other? Besides farming, what would the red? States offer? Yeah, I don't know. It's I mean, a, that'd be an interesting thing to sit down and. And really think of because I can't think of too many things that are more important than food. All right. Well, everybody has to have that. And and you know, uh, I mean, I don't know where most most of the water is apart from the Pacific Northwest. And I know we have lots of water normally here in the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's not right now. We're in a drought. There's forest fires. It's never happened. I in bet the time Texas doesn't. They would have to get their water. They would have to get their water, yeah. But they've, they've, yeah, they. Well, the Rio Grande is dried up by the time it gets down to Texas. Uh, True, true. You know, now they have oil. (laughs) They'll always be able to buy water. But uh, anyway, I just thought it was interesting. Like I started to think about it. It is. And I just also imagined, because I and I also imagined, like if Trump had lost the election, I wondered if we would end up in a violent civil war quickly. Like the Democrats are taking this pretty well. We're upset. We're marching, we're protesting, we're signing petitions. That's as aggressive as we get, you know. But the guy in the store who accosted your African-American friend, mm-hmm. if he had, he was doing that from a place of having won. So he's, you know, he's still p- full of piss and vinegar about his, his racist perspective has been validated. Right. But imagine if he s- still had all that racism, but now he was filled with hate and bitterness and for having lost. lost. Right? right. That's what I'm saying. You know, then what's that going to look like? Well, you know, the African-American community was way, way, way more incensed with the Black Lives Matter thing, with the sh- cops shooting, you know, the unarmed oh, black men. Of course, yeah. Of course. And then you saw, you know, the riots. I mean, Charlotte. I'm from Charlotte. Right. I was performing that night when those riots started in Charlotte. You were in Charlotte? I was in Charlotte that night. That was the night of Spanky's. I was, oh. at, I was at the Comedy Zone the first night of the riots. I didn't know that. Yeah, to an almost entirely sake. black audience. Like, wow. I mean, you know, I, I mean, not entirely, but like two-thirds, you know. And that was my first time performing to anybody who wasn't, you know, from Asheville. <laughs> Interesting. So, not really. I mean, I performed in, in, in other uh, communities that were maybe more uh, uh, ethnically diverse. But this was not overly diverse. It was, you know, a large African-American population. And that's really unusual. I'm surprised to hear that as well because um, Spanky Brown is one of the most broadly appealing comics that I know. And he is funny no matter what color you are. He's oh, absolutely, yeah. He's a wonderful human being. Oh, he's the best. Yes, yeah. he is. And yeah. I just adore him. He and I share the same uh, comedy anniversary. Oh, we started really? the exact same day, the exact same year. That's amazing. Yes. And in the same place? No, he was in Memphis and I was in Charlotte. 
and we did not know each other and we just discovered this years down the road and uh um just were comparing notes or maybe he put it i don't remember how it happened he put it on facebook or something you know today's my comedy anniversary and i was like oh my god me too that's so cool. yeah and it turns out that we uh, now have the same so yeah he's one of my uh closest he's stayed at my house numerous times oh, and, i love the guy yeah he's great yeah. i met him at a party uh the guy who i inherited the gutbusters gig from uh, he had put together a party for some friends and Spanky came up and performed at the party. Nice. And everybody wanted to talk to him and whatever. And I just, you know, after all that had died down and he was, you know, kind of recovering, I introduced myself and, and told him I was a local comic. We talked for a little while and we had three separate conversations that night. You know, I didn't want to be obnoxious and kind of glommy and all that shit, you know, but I was a comic <laughs> and he kind of enjoyed that there was a comic there he could talk to, not just fans. And, uh, and by the end of the night, he had invited me to host his special in Charlotte. You know? Oh, gosh. So that's was, how that happened. That's how that happened. Yeah. It was just, I was, I said, you want me to send you a clip or something? He's like, no, no, you, you already made me laugh tonight twice. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. Yeah. He's a good dude. Yeah. He was really good. He's, you know, cause he understood. He's like, you know, you just sounds like you just need stage time, you know? And I was like, I'll go anywhere for at least 10 minutes. I'm like, I'm not driving to Charlotte for five minutes anymore, you know? <laughs> But I'll go for 10 because it's enough. You know, it's like it's it's. And so he let me host. He said, yeah, you should host. That'll be good. You get up and down a few times like that's what you need. Just get back up on stage, get over the jitters and all that. Um, so there's just something very uh, big brotherly about the way he reached out and just how present he was like that. It's really yeah. cool. Oh, he's uh, he's the best. And he's he's got a sister named Avis that'll just kill you. She's so funny. Oh, uh, is she a comic? A com no. She's just funny. No. She's just funny. I'm on her I'm friends with her on Facebook. Some of the stuff she says and he has various radio stations, you know, he'll he'll do one for a while and then he'll stop and then he'll go somewhere else. He has he's had internet radio stations and stuff, ra okay. programs, uh -huh. shows and uh I was on one in Knoxville, Tennessee when he used to live up there. I came in, came through and went on it. It was a sports talk thing. And I said, well, I don't know anything about sports. You know, <laughs> I'll come be on there, but I don't know anything about sports. But we'll just come on there and be, we'll just be funny and cut up. And his sister called in there, and I'm telling you, she's her name's Avis Moore. So look her up on Spanky's page. Okay. On Facebook. on Avis Yeldell Moore. Look her up. Anyway. So it runs in his family. Yeah. Well, there's some people who are just gifted at telling a story, and it's always funny when it comes out of their mouth. I'm My right now, I'm trying to figure out how to be me on stage. Had to be much more just the that guy who I am. That takes a long time. Let me just say, that takes, I thought I had me at 10 years. No. Still no. 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 I'm, I'm evolving 19 years in. I just got done listening to Kathleen Madigan on Netflix, Night Before Last. Oh, which one? I just watched her too. Bothering Jesus. Yeah, I just watched that. Yeah. Oh my God. So funny. She is, and she mentions in there, I've been doing this 25 years, you know? Right. And that gave me a compass, like a, a, a gauge. You know, at 25, I've got, what, six years? What about 19, 20? Yeah, six. <laughs> I can't do math without my fingers. <laughs> no, you were right straight out. Um, I, I've got six years to be there. And and her level of her conversational style is just 
effortless. It is. Effortless. And you can just, I could listen to her all day. And what impresses me about her too is, and some of these big stars, they don't have a big finish. They don't have that big closing bit like everybody wants. Right. They don't. They just talk till they quit. <laughs> they just end. And then they get this standing ovation. And it's not that they shot fire out their ass at the end of the set. It's that the whole thing was so good and so personal. And and that everybody just knows her and they feel like they know her. Right. So that's where I am. I mean, so when I was asking you earlier, you know, who do you like right. and why? Well, then you got to do what they do. You you have to write thing, you know, you can't just do I was going through Alabama the other day. Right. Stuff. All comics do that. Yeah. Telling where I was, where I was, they have a sign, their sign, I saw a sign on the side of the road. Who gives a shit? Louis yeah. CK's not talking about stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, I think my material is <laughs> without treading on his i think it's pretty close when we talk about our kids you know i mean the only problem is i am my biggest gripe about louis ck apart from him being infinitely better at this than i am (laughs) is that his kids are just a few years older so he's already talked about everything i could possibly want to talk about because he's experienced it and he not just talked about like it was on his last special because his kids are three years older and by the time you know i've watched it a few times on netflix and my daughter's going through it i'm like i got a funny idea i'm like and i watch I'm like, fuck, he just talked about that, you know. But so. your but your circumstances are different. Oh, yeah, and totally. And your view is different, too. The circumstances could be the same. You know, kids do this, but the way you deal with it and the way your kid reacts to what you do and things like that are all you guys. You oh, yeah, know? totally, yeah. Yeah. So it's not just like, oh, crap, it's already been done always, you know. So... And I'm learning at 19 years in, you know, I learn all the time. When I watched this, when I watched Kathleen Madigan the other day, I, it, it, a, a light bulb went off. And I'm like, that, that's what I want to do right there. So, and last night was the first time I've been on stage since seeing that. You know what? That's fascinating. Because when I watched you last night, the first thing I thought when I saw you, I was like, she is just so relaxed right now. Like, she is just up there shooting the shit with us. She just happens to be on the stage and we just happen to be sitting in the audience. Like that was the feeling. So good. That's the way she comes. That's the way Kathleen Madigan so I just comes wanted across you to, to me. Yeah, I know. So I wanted you to know. Good. You know, oh, that's the best, best compliment yeah, ever. Like, that was exactly my experience of you last night. Oh, wonderful. And, and I had that realization, like it was moments in and I was like, oh man, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Like I'm trying to just seem that natural. I mean, I was, I felt pretty unnatural last night for a lot of reasons. I don't know why I invited my ex-girlfriend to come see me. I was just going to say, I bet that had a lot to do with it. But well, it did for a few different reasons. Um, I mean, I, she was there and then there's someone I might be interested in seeing who's there, you know, it was like, so I had both ends of the spectrum and I was talking about someone I just broke up with is like in the middle, you know? Um, so I had different reasons for feeling, uh, mildly insecure about the material I was doing and just being up there. Uh, it was my, also my first time hosting this venue. I've been at the venue, but my first time hosting, I felt responsible and feel responsible to you. You know, there's a lot going on at once. I was just very conscious. I mean, people were laughing. I mean, they enjoyed it. And there was one point in the middle where I completely got lost. I just started talking. I was like, I, I had forgotten anything that I might've been intending to talk about. And then I found my legs and finished up. But I, uh, 
you know, I, there was now it just happened to me again. <laughs> uh, but I could feel how like stiff I was in, you know, maybe it's cause I was wearing a suit and it was all buttoned up and it's brand new and fits nice and s- snug and tailored. And I was like stuck in this tailored suit. Uh, that's how I felt while I was performing. We'll see how it goes tonight. Are you gonna wear that again? Yeah. Yeah. I, when I first started uh, doing open mic, my very first time, excuse me, I went, I wore a, a suit, a pantsuit. A, it was, it was teal. It was this dark teal ladies, very tailored, very smart looking, businessy looking suit. And I didn't know. I didn't know what you were supposed to. I thought I wanted it to be classy. Right. I wanted to look nice. I don't really do dresses because I'm too tomboyish and I'm really tall. And I, mean, I don't know. I just like pants, you know. But when I look back on it, that wasn't me. Right. I don't dress like that. I bought that because I worked at JCPenney and they gave you a discount on anything you could wear to work. <laughs> and I bought it, you know, to wear to work. Right. And my job. For Christmas time, I, I just worked there for like two months or something around Christmas, and and they had tall stuff. You know, it's hard for me to get clothes, that, women's clothes that even fit me. And uh, but my point is that it wasn't me, right? And like, I don't wear I don't wear tennis shoes on stage. I just don't. A, a million and one people do, but I just don't because. I want to be just a little bit different than everybody in the room. I mean, I want to look like the talent. Right. And so I've, I've had to come up with this, this look that is a, a unique enough to set me apart from the people in the room, but not so sterile or so corporate or whatever that isn't me either, you know? So you got to get that blend of of you that that you that works right. for you to be totally in your own, in comfortable on stage and able to be you and well it's you know relate. yeah i mean it's um it's me trying something yeah you know and 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 trying something in a room and on in a venue where i think it's uh, it behooves me to be a little classier, you know, to just to look a little nicer. You set and, the you tone know. of the show. Yeah. I mean, you're the first, you're the host of this event. You're the p- first one people see. It's a theater, you know, it's it's not a biker bar. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I, I see it. it yeah. And it and it classes up the joint. That was the, yeah, that was the, uh, yeah. Yeah. I remember I asked Brandon, I was like, make sure you dress up for this. You know, he shows up in khakis and a polo. I'm just like... Okay, looks like that's probably the best you got. What do you, you make got, a joke about you know? it? Like I'm, what did he say? I look like a not help desk. What did he say? Oh, did he? I heard him. I didn't hear what the joke was, but I heard that he joked about and it. And it was funny. He said, I look like an a IT guy or something like that. <laughs> or, or he worked at Target. There was something. Yeah, he did look like he worked at Target. Yeah, because yeah. he had on khakis and a, and a red shirt. Yeah. Yeah, but it, and he was so funny. He oh, is funny. He, he's, he's terrific. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, just you just gotta find what works for you and puts you puts your head where it needs to be. I've always been. I like music to walk out to, hmm. and a lot of clubs don't do it. 
for one thing, you have to have a person that's willing to go back there and put the and load it in and then hit the button and turn it off when you're you're in place. And right. it takes a, a sound guy, that, right. that, you know, and a lot of times there's one person doing 10 jobs already and they just don't have the man to, to do it or the woman to do it. But I think that that adds a lot to the show. There's music playing before the show begins. Then when the show starts, it has music. And then there's walk up and walk down. When you see people on Conan, Letterman, Leno, all the shows, all Late Night, Fallon, they got a band in right, the Right, they room. got a band, sure. Playing something exactly perfect and for that person. Perfect for that person. Yeah. And uh, um, I just think that, and it's energy, and it and it just, it it hits at the right moment, and and it puts that person's head where they want to be and validates them, makes them feel like, oh, this is professional. This is top-notch, man. So they come out with a little bit pep in their step. You know what I mean? Totally. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I, I inherited, it's a mental thing. You know, I inherited this venue from someone, and he chose for his intro music as the host some heavy metal shit. So I came out to heavy metal last night, which is not me. I come out wearing a full suit <laughs> to heavy metal, and then I'm smiling, and everyone's happy and applauding. I grab the mic. The mic doesn't work. And the guy kept the music on for way too long. You know, I had to start like banging my head because I had nothing to do because they certainly weren't going to hear me, even if the mic had been working. And, uh, you know, so it's like we've got some kinks to, to iron out there. So did they they didn't bring music for you, though, right? Because I just introduced you and you came up. I got confused last night because you were standing in the room. I was prepared for you to be off stage. I didn't even know there was an off stage place to be. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. But it was I was I just figured, you know, you and, you know, you had said to me on the phone, you're like, listen, the one person you don't have to worry about this in equation is me. Yeah. Because I'm the one who's been doing it for 19 years. Worry about the the feature the and the people. guest, you know, <laughs> just rein them in because they're going to be your problem, you know, and and so just make sure that they understand where they need to be when and all yeah. that because they're the ones that don't have a habit. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it was fine. It was just it. So because uh, by of, habit, I mean a work habit. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Not a bad. They habit. may they may have a habit. They yeah. might have another one. But... Yeah. There's a pretty good chance. Uh, <laughs> certainly one of them. I had to. T- I had sent him a message today. I was like, "How about tonight when you're done, that you say thank you. You've been a great audience. Good night, and then I'll come out on stage." Because last night he just stood there and kept talking. It's like I'm just gonna stand here until Jason comes out and takes the mic out of my hand. I was like, "That's not how you finish." <laughs> and so I walked out immediately. It ended up being a comedic moment in itself, but well, it was he's a quirky funny. guy, and he's yeah. got a really peculiar, different style anyway, and so. It was okay, but yeah, he needs to have something that signals I'm done in in what he says. I mean, he yeah. needs to say his name again. Thank you, guys. You've been great. People are conditioned for that as an audience to know, you know. And as a host, I don't want to just walk out and take the mic out of his what hand. What if he's not ready? Yeah. What if that wasn't it? He right. said it's his last joke, but he's an artist. Right. That may have been part of something. You don't know. Yeah, exactly. He yeah. may have been that may have been something he does all the time and then continues to talk because that's funny. You don't the, know. I mean that actually happened with you last night. You were like, All right, well I'm gonna get out of here and so I left, you know, and kinda of went around back and and then you did another ten minutes. <laughs> which is fine. You know, you that's when you sort of introduced your merch and everything else. But it was exactly what you're saying. Like just because you said it was you said you were done, you weren't actually done. I love one show you know? nights. So <sighs> One show nights are so fabulous. Oh, because you can be Because relaxed. there's no constraint. Yeah. You can you can talk as long as you want to. And I also like uh, um, when there's no check drop. Hmm. You know, because in a comedy club where they bring the drinks to the table. Right. Where they have servers. 
moving about. Right. Um, they there's a point, typically 15, 20 minutes before the end of the show, they will start to give everyone their tabs. Right. That's a very hard time to keep people's attention. Oh, right. And a lot of the time, too, it's all the men that are distracted because that's who's paying the bill. Right. And so the women are still looking at you. And if you can look at it that way and kind of break it down by, you know, the dynamic of what's going on right now while everybody seems to not be paying attention to me as well, it's not total, but it's... No, definitely that's a, that's fragmented. A good point. Yeah, you, know, you you can feel it, Absolutely. and also it's a sign to the audience the show's winding down, and they're going to have their kind of emotional response to that. They're like, "Oh, it's just just getting into it," you know. But it's better, like this show, where that doesn't happen, right. where the bar is outside and people have to get up and go out. Um, so you don't have that distraction to contend with, you know. So that that's nice. Yeah. That's what I like about theater shows it's a night this is a great venue it really is and the the audience is fantastic every time they were unbelievable aren't they i mean they just make you feel like you're the best comedian ever you know they just really they really come to laugh and they bring their joy and and they're happy to be there and and i love performing there i really do it's a it's a great place and i hope it keeps on i hope it's successful and comes back for another you know just stays you're not gonna do seasons right you're just is it a season or is uh, it a, not technically? I mean, is no. it once a month? It's about, yeah, it's going to be about seven times next year. I think they did five times this year. There's going to be seven next year. So not even once a month, not even once a month. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that infrequent. Yeah. Well, they have to dance around the uh, theater schedule because right. they have a lot of plays that they do at that theater and that's really their purpose. Right. So as long as we're doing it at that theater, we're going to be, um, you know, sort of beholden to their, but, free but weekends. if they make money, if they make money off of it, then they'll you'll go up in the priority, hopefully. Yeah, well, that's you know that's the marketing business. So we're working all that out. Sure, sure. You know. Oh well, I hope so because it's it seems to be off to a really great start. Yeah. Well, oh. we're really happy you're in town, and I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me today. I don't even want to stop, but I know we both have to get ready to go perform in a little while. And, yeah. Uh, we're I good. just I just think you're awesome, and I'm really. Oh. I'm happy I got to meet you. You know, I mean, I really, it's been really nice since the first moment we talked on the phone, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. It just felt like an old friend who I just called for the first time. <laughs> oh, how nice. So. How old? <laughs> Not elder. Just, I'm just uh... <laughs> with you. Well, thank you. I'm glad that to do it. And, uh, and I hope, I know this hasn't been the funniest thing, but it, but it's, it's sincere, you know, and it's just. But you know behind the scenes stuff and and how you feel about the the comedy and the the art and the it's not all just joke 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 you know yeah no I don't bring people on this podcast to tell jokes right right right, yeah. right. this is to me this is my opportunity to get to know somebody and this is my audience's opportunity to you know join in in that experience I like and, it and uh and hopefully it appeals to people enough that they listen but i i think it's great and no i mean you're the perfect guest you know how to talk and how to not talk yeah so no it's uh you're a consummate professional and it's a pleasure to have you thank you thank you anytime more importantly you're you're uh an extremely genuine human being and that's really um the reason it's nice to have this with you so thank you thank you thank you all right well we'll do it again sometime let's go to work I'm so happy I got to sit down with Julie. She had me rolling from the first time we got on the phone together. 
This wasn't our funniest conversation, but it was great getting inside the head of someone like her. I just love her, and I can't wait to see her again. If you like what you heard, please visit our website, use our Amazon portal, rate us on iTunes. Make sure you tell your friends about us, and if you feel so inclined, please consider making a donation on our donation page. That way, we can keep failing for years. 